How are we to express our love for God? Let's find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Today we're looking at the subject of love. Not love for ourselves, but love for God. There are five ways that the Bible gives us as to how we are to love God. Well, let's find out what they are today as we study together from God's Word. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this statement. He says, Love does not look at itself. It is absorbed in the object. That's so true. And that's the kind of love that God calls us to give Him. A love that is absorbed in Him. It's clear in Scripture that we are to love God, and that is without any question. But how are we to do this? Is there any kind of visual display that we can show Him? Does the Bible tell us how God wants us to be loved? And the answer is yes. But before we can answer those questions, we first have to say that loving God requires knowing Him. And that knowledge begins with His Word. To know Him is to love Him. If you do not know Him, you do not love Him. So I want to begin this morning by asking a simple question, and that is this. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you received Him? Have you confessed Him As Lord, have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Have you called upon him? And if all that is true, then there are five ways that you can manifest your love for God. And I want to begin to talk about these this morning. To love God is to worship and praise him. I hope and pray that this morning that that's what you were doing. That you are worshiping and praising God through the reading of Scripture, through the giving of your offering, through the singing of the songs, and now through the listening of the preaching of God's Word. We express our love to Him by worshiping. We are a worshiping people. And you know, Jesus reaffirmed this in Luke 4. At verse 6, when he was in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted by the devil. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this dominion and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God And serve him only. See, what Satan was trying to do was get Jesus to not trust God. In fact, the very things that he was promising Jesus, God had already given him. But Jesus responds by reaffirming Scripture. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13, which reads, You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. 
See, we are to only fear the Lord. We're only to fear Yahweh. We're only to fear God. We're not to worship any other creature. We're not to worship the creation as many do in Romans 1. We're only to swear by His name and nobody else. Now, Deuteronomy was written by Moses, so we can say with certainty that Moses was calling the Israelites to this kind of love. He was calling them to worship and praise the Creator. He should be the only person that receives worship. The only one who receives praise. And this should be an all-consuming effort on our part. In fact, everything that I have to say to you this morning, nothing can happen apart from His Spirit. You cannot worship Him. You cannot praise Him. You can't do anything apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. So it's extremely essential that you understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Over in Ephesians 5.18 where we find that command, it says, And be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with with the Spirit. That command right there is telling us that in the context for which we find it, that that is the natural and the right response that believers have to God. That we are filled with His Spirit. Now this is a feeling that you can't do. It's in the passive voice. The passive voice tells us that something else is acting on the subject. And something else is acting on you, and the person that's acting on you is the Spirit of God. And it's also a command. You're commanded to be being kept filled with the Spirit. Again, you can't do this. The Spirit of God has to do this. So what you have to do is die to self. You have to deny yourself. Take up your cross, as Luke 9.23 says, and follow Christ. You have to walk by the means of the Spirit. And when you walk by the means of the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In fact, when you walk by the means of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in you. And it's not just one of those nine fruits that are mentioned there. It's one fruit, nine different attitudes. So when we look at this understanding of worship, And we look at this understanding of praise. I want you to understand that in the Hebrew, to worship and to praise meant to serve. It meant to surrender everything about yourself to the one that you're serving. So that tells me that preparation is definitely helpful and definitely needed. And I don't know what your Sunday morning is like and what kind of preparation that you make. Mine is pretty much the same each week. I get up early and go over the message, pray over the message, and sometimes I find myself right back in the study doing things with the message again before I get here. But it's all about Him. It's not about me, it's not about you, but it's all about Christ. And it cannot be anything less. As John Gill says, that we are to serve Him through fear, not through slavish fear, a fear of hell and damnation, 
but through filial fear, a reverential affection for that God that had brought them out of the state of bondage into great and glorious liberty, out of Egypt into Canaan's land, out of a place of misery into a land of plenty, and therefore should fear the Lord and His goodness, and from such a fear of Him serve Him in every part of worship, public and private and joined. So as we gather together this morning and we gather to worship and praise our God, this is also something that should be going on in your private life. And it should be going on all the time. You know, the Bible teaches that this is the theme that we find in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms was the Jewish hymn book of the people, the Hebrew people. And when you read the Psalms, they were accompanied with music, with string instruments, with other kinds of instruments. And you would find that in the inscription in the first part of the verse, which in the Hebrew Bible is actually verse 1. And so they would worship God and take these psalms and sing them. In fact, that's where I learned years ago how to write a song, was reading the psalms, because I wanted to write a song, or any songs for that matter, that you didn't have to hear the music to know how it went. Because you know how it is, sometimes you have to hear the music to know how the, the words are lining up and how they rhyme and so forth, and uh, but I wanted it to be that, you know, if you just read this, you had no music, you understood exactly what was being said, like you're reading the Psalms, and, and you can offer up worship and praise in that manner. But listen to some of the Psalms that talk about the priority of worshiping and praising God. You had Psalm 5 and verse 7. David said, As for me, in the abundance of your loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will worship and fear of you. I will worship. That was a dedicated act on his part. Psalm 22 verse 27 says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of of his holiness. And by the way, I'm reading this from the Legacy Standard Bible. They have taken the New American Standard, done a few revisions. And in the Old Testament, when you read the name of God, which is Yahweh, they actually translate it out as Yahweh. So, like Psalm 66 4, this one doesn't have it in it, but it does tell us that all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Psalm 86.9, All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Yahweh, and they shall glorify your name. Psalm 95, verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh, our Maker. All these verses are talking about worshiping the one true God. Like Psalm 99 and verse 5, Exalt Yahweh our God and worship at the footstool of His feet. Holy is He. Verse 9 of Psalm 99, Exalt Yahweh our God and worship at His holy mountain, for holy is Yahweh our God. And two more, Psalm 132.7, Let us come into His dwelling place. Let us worship at the footstool of His feet. 
In Psalm 138, 2, I will worship toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. Now, if that's the theme of the hymn book of the Old Testament, shouldn't it be the theme of your life? That everything that you do is worship and praise to the one and true God? And that you express it in such a way so to love Him is to worship Him and praise Him? See, this is really a way of life. Everything about us is to be worship and praise to Him. Everything about this should affect our lives. John 4.24, when Jesus is speaking at the woman of Samaria at the well, He tells her that God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the word that He uses for worship is the Greek word proskuneo, which occurs about 60 times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the word is used in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So it would be the same word, proskuneo. And it means to do reverence or to bow down. And we find that, like in Genesis 18, when the three visitors came to Abraham, and he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, three men were standing nearby, and he saw and he ran from the tent door to meet them. And it says he bowed down to the earth. This was out of reverence and respect and homage. And of course, as he talks to the Lord, the three that are there, two of them were angels, as we know in Genesis 19. But as he talks to the Lord there, he gives him worship. He's even careful with how he phrases his words, how he speaks to him. In the New Testament, the word also meant to do reverence and to do homage. And it spoke of prostration to where you're bowing down before him. Matthew 8, 2, there was a leper who came to Jesus. And it says he came bowing down before him and saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And of course, the Lord said, I am willing. And he stretched out his hand and he healed him of his leprosy. Immediate, total Full healing. And leprosy would cause members to fall off. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ healed him completely of the leprosy. You know, it's a miracle that I believe many miss. Just like in the garden when the guards came to take Jesus away and Peter pulls out his sword and he goes for the head of one of the high priests the servant of the high priest, and he turns out and he gets his ear, and he cuts his ear completely off. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, put your sword back into its sheath. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And then he turns to Malcolm and he touches his ear and he gives him a new ear. You know, that goes by so quickly in the passage that you miss it if you're not careful. But these two verses talk about and give us the identity who the Lord Jesus Christ is just by that very act and therefore demands from us a certain type of response. And what is that response? It's worship and it is praise. And it's giving adoration to Him. So to love God is to worship and praise God. 
Every time you express worship and praise to Him, you're expressing your love to Him. And God wants us to do that. And God wants us to bow down before Him in humility. Our second way that we express our love to God is by putting Him first. To love God is to put Him first. This is what I refer to as chief or primary love. And I'm basically getting that from Revelation 2.4. If you like to turn there, you can see that. But let me just ask you a few questions. Is God your chief love? Now, I know it's easy to answer that question this morning because you're sitting in here, but was it true earlier this morning before you got here? Or was it true yesterday or the day before or this week? And and you say, well, I always love him. I'm, I'm a Christian. But do you always put him first? And if we're honest about it, we'd have to admit, no, we don't. We don't always put him first. Sometimes we put ourselves first. Sometimes... We put these things first. In fact, I find more people <coughs> more people staring at, at their phone <coughs> than I find them doing anything else. When I am going through the, park, uh, the parking lot at a store, I'm very careful as I ride through where the doors are because... Nine out of ten people crossing in front of you do not look at you. You ever notice that? They look at their phone more than anything. Or they're looking straight ahead, but they never look from left to right to see if anything's coming. Now, I'm a parent, and I always look left to right, whether I have my kids with me or not. And I always know where they are. And they're always right here with me. And when they were a lot younger... I always said, grab the buggy. Hold on to the buggy as we walk across the road. In fact, the other day I was watching this one lady come out of the store. And trailing behind her must have been her three or four-year-old daughter. And she was pretty far behind. And I was just thinking to myself, and I looked at my wife and I said, she should never let her little girl walk that far away from her. That's how people kidnap people. That's how people get hurt very, very easily. But I find it more and more, and I find it very interesting. And and so so I ask that question, is God chief to you? Is, Is loving him the chief love that you have? Do you love him more than the things of the world? We're told in 1 John chapter 2 to do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So we're told not to love the things of this world because those things that comprise our attention is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Do you love Him more than the things of the world? Do you love Him more than your car? Do you love Him more than your house? Do you love Him more than your phone, your computer, or anything else that you possess? You say, well, yes. 
That's the easy answer. Well, let me ask you this question then. Do you love him more than those who are dear to you? Do you love him more than your family? Do you love him more than your children? Over in Genesis chapter 22, there is an account of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is told to go up to Mount Moriah to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. And he did. He did exactly that. In fact, an angel of the Lord called out from heaven and stopped him from plunging that knife into his son and said to him, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And if you go back to the first verse of Genesis 22, it was a test. It was a test to reveal who Abraham loved the most. Did he love his son and his one and only son more than God? Or did he love God the most? Well, he passed the test, and so it was revealed that he loved God more than he loved his son, and he was willing to take his son's life to demonstrate that. In fact, we're told in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that he believed that if he did take the life of his son, that God would resurrect him because he was the son of promise. Do you love God like that? Well, before you say yes, even though you probably already said yes, I want you to keep in mind what Jesus had to say to the believers at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. In Revelation chapter 2, we're told about this church, one of the seven churches in Asia Minor, And we're told some pretty good things about this church. Verse 2, the deeds that they had was toil and perseverance. They could not tolerate evil men. They put to test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and they found them to be false. They have persevered. They've endured for His name's sake. They have not grown weary. But the most haunting words, and I would say the most haunting to a believer are these words. The most haunting words are found in Matthew 7 where Jesus says to unbelievers, Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. To me, that's the most haunting words of all Scripture. But maybe some of the most haunting words for a believer are found in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. The Lord Jesus Christ having anything against His church? Yeah. They deserted Him. And you say, how could they do that? I mean, look at all the things that they were doing. That just tells me right there, you can do that and still leave your first love. 
Jesus tells them what to do. In verse 5, Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. So 40 years after their conversion... Their love had cooled down. You know, we see this in the church today too. When we see a person come to Christ and they're all excited. And every time the preacher preaches, what do they say? Amen! Praise the Lord! And they just shout it out from the seat where they're sitting. And that goes on for several months. Till it begins to die down. And it's not said as much till finally it's not said at all. Your Christianity like that? You start out with this excitement, but you don't have it now? Why? Did you forsake your first love? What did I say earlier when I started? Ephesians 5.18 Be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It is your responsibility to die to self so that you can be filled with the Spirit of God. You've got to get rid of you. You've got to get self out of the picture, self out of the way, so that you can yield to the Spirit of God, so that He can fill you, so that He can control you. You want an easier way to say this? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. And the, the results of letting the Word of Christ control you are the same as Ephesians 5 when it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Because if you look at the effects of that, they're both the same. Husbands will love their wives like Christ loves the church. Wives will submit to their husbands. Fathers will not exasperate their children. Children will be obedient to their parents. All of those are the results, the visual effects of being filled with the Spirit. And it's in both of those chapters. Though one is talking about being filled with the Spirit, the other one is talking about being controlled by the Word. So what's it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to be obedient to the Word of God. It means to be controlled by the Scriptures. And I'll tell you what, that's not going to happen if you're not saturating your mind with Scripture. Are you saturating your mind with Scripture? I hope that you are. You've been listening today to How to Love God. This message is available on one full-length audio CD and is made available today by giving us a call at 904-651-3351. If you prefer, you can download our message today. It's available from our website at www.changedbygrace.org. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I do want to thank you for listening together today. I hope that you'll join us again next time as we study together from God's Word. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I want to personally invite you to visit Eastport Baptist Church this morning at 11 o'clock. We are biblical, expository, and reformed. 
I look forward to meeting you and worshiping together.